the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. To have faith in God is not a stagnant state. It's a journey. As believers, we should grow in our knowledge of God and His Word. Walk with Alan Cutting and many other believers as we walk the believer's journey. Aloha, and welcome again to The Believer's Journey. I want to thank you for joining us. I want to thank you for supporting us. All Everyone who shares our video, who watches us, I just really want to thank you so much. Uh, we do uh, covet your prayers. And um, I want to also share that uh, if you go to our website, we still are taking donations for those uh, Christians, the Christian homes and churches who are burnt down and uh, who don't have any food, and we uh, will take donations. They will go directly to Pakistan. So I just wanted to mention that as well. You can go to our website. is the www.thebelieversjourney.net. Okay? Well, today we're going to talk about abiding in Jesus. And my guest today is uh, no stranger to anybody in South Texas. It's Bill Taylor. Hi, Alan. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Doing great. Doing really good today. Thank you. So, um, Bill is uh, the weatherman in, uh, I guess, South Texas or San Antonio mm -hmm. for Ken's Five. And um, the remarkable thing, I, 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 I believe, that I think, maybe this is normal, is that whenever I'm watching television at 11 o'clock at night and it goes off because... We're having a storm. Bill Taylor comes on. I go, what is he doing at 11 o'clock at night when I'm trying to watch TV? Right. But it's like, doesn't he go to sleep? Yeah, sometimes <laughs> weather will keep me there and keep me up. It, we're dependent upon, you know, the shifting weather. You know, it's been quiet for several months now. But uh, we had a pretty active spring, you know, early spring. We had uh, in April and May, we had a lot of rain. And if anybody can remember what rain is, <laughs> um, that was uh, two pretty wet months, and we had some pretty, you know, rough weather. And so anytime, the most important thing I do at Ken's Five is keep people safe and ahead of life-threatening weather so they can protect themselves, their family, their property. And so if any kind of weather threat is, is imminent or occurring, we're there until it's over. Yeah, you know? I noticed that. Yeah. I noticed that. So it's uh, pretty amazing. I, I read somewhere, I don't know, it was your father or somebody mentioned that you're like a weather prophet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the only one on the set that's asked to predict the future. We're the only ones, you know, not the sports guy, not the news people, you know, but it's uh, it's been a blessing. I mean, I love the science of meteorology. You know, I grew up in New Jersey where weather wasn't that big of a deal. You know, it was towards the end of the newscast. It wasn't a big part of your life. I mean, I remember maybe one hurricane. Yeah, you get some nor'easters and some big snowstorms. But as far as life-threatening weather, it wasn't very often. And when I moved, I was 19 years old, to Lake Charles, Louisiana. Boy, weather's a big deal there. You're 40 miles, 50 miles north of the Gulf of Mexico. So every hurricane season, you're paying attention. And then there's tornadoes, there's hailstorms, there's big windstorms. Things that I've never experienced, thunderstorms like I've never seen before. And so weather was a bigger part of your life. And I started really kind of leaning into what that meant and how that worked. And, wow, this is interesting. And I went from accounting to marketing to journalism to meteorology. I finally kind of found my way in little Lake Charles, Louisiana. Well, it's funny because when I lived down uh, in Hawaii, on, on Maui, I thought it was the strangest thing. when it, One time it rained and rained and rained. And they canceled school. I'm like, wow. what is this? <laughs> you know, they can't handle rain. Yeah. But when I went to South Kihei Road, it, the water literally was all the way up to the bottom of the car. You know, you open your door, and there's the water right there. And I thought, wow, it's pretty high up. Yeah. And so, and then I noticed that uh, a couple times they'd have, uh, you know, 
they alert you to hurricanes coming and so some people would put you know big boards against their windows and so forth and it was kind of interesting in Hawaii you don't really have a lot there except for if a hurricane comes by exactly I mean I, with everything imported I- including hurricanes yeah. right um, it had to be pretty wild and, and it doesn't take much water at all you know I mean just a foot of water at the right speed will take any car off the road yeah. you know and uh, walking if, if it's just under your knee if it's about a foot and a half it only has to be moving at about two miles per hour one and a half maybe and you're not going to be able to stand Yeah, it, it'll take funny. you off your feet well, pretty amazing this summer. Of course, this has probably been one of the most unusual summers. Oh, we broke so many records, Alan. So many records. Um, 75 100-degree days. The last one was this past Sunday, 101. And the number two is 59. So it just shows you how many more than the number two. Our new number one is this summer, 75. 17 of those 75 were 105 or higher. Wow. And that's the new number one, 17. The number two is four. <laughs> I mean, just because that disparity, that, that gap between one and two tells you so much. And then the highest heat index we've ever recorded in city history was early July of this summer, 117 degrees one day. Yeah. Well, I sauna. That's a that sauna. When you, when you look at weather years ago, it was like... There was the weather girl, and there was the board, and there was a little cloud, and there was just, it was just, you know, and nobody believed the weather person because, you know, it never was what they said. Right. So now I watch you, and I'm thinking, well, it's got to be what it says, because look at all these gadgets and radars <laughs> and things. And it's so true. He, so he says it's going to it's gonna rain, possibly rain, it's like 40%. Okay, so I won't water my lawn. It doesn't come. What's wrong with you, Bill? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, that means there was a 60% chance you'd stay dry, right? So, and, and, and that is one of the biggest questions, by the way, while, while we're there. Um, it is a probability. Yeah. You know, a lot of people will say, well, is it a probability or is it the amount of the viewing area that's going to get rain? 40% of the area will get measurable rain. No. Um, it means that 40% probability that measurable rain falls in the forecast area, which, as you mentioned yeah. off the top, it is South Texas. 80% of it is San Antonio. But, okay. you know, we go west to Del Rio, south to Eagle Pass, Pearsall, Carrizo Springs. I mean, we go down all the way down 35. Um, some even watch us in Laredo on cable. Some watch us in Victoria on cable. But as far as our technical viewing area, we come up just shy of those communities. But because of you know, but but we do go into uh, Carn City, Quero, Howlettsville. Howlettsville is kind of the cutoff before you get to Houston. But um, yeah, when it's it, it, it is back to what you're saying. It is the best forecasting we've ever had is right now. The the satellite technology, the model data technology, model forecasting has never been more accurate. And while it is the tongue in cheek joke that you know we're always wrong, we're honestly correct about. We're running around 90% accuracy. I mean, as far as just what we say, you know, hardly ever is it, you know, sunny in 85 and it storms all day. I mean, we're just never that off. You know, I mean, we might say 20% chance of rain and it rains pretty heavy. But, you know, we had a probability in there at least. Yeah. Well, I know like in Hawaii we have these days where it's raining and there's zero clouds. We call it liquid sunshine. Liquid sunshine, right? Yeah. Right? Liquid yeah. Sunshine. I like, that's and it's like rainy. Like, where are they? <laughs> yeah, they're I don't even nowhere. see it. Yeah, yeah. Just ca- well, they're just floating the from winds. Somewhere. Yeah, exactly. the, the winds will blow precip, especially Hawaii, when you have those kind of winds. And, you know, here's the interesting thing about Hawaii and weather. On the planet Earth, there are 13 climate classifications. Eleven, and I'm talking about like Arctic tundra, desert arid, tropical humid. You know, and, and while we're talking about it, South Texas is kind of on the cusp of a tropical humid and a desert arid. We get both influences from Mexico. The Southwest is a good dry climate. And then, of course, the Gulf of Mexico, tropical humid. The state of Hawaii and the islands have 11 of the 13 classifications. Yeah. It's, well, it's unbelievable when you think about that. 11 of the 13. So minus Arctic tundra, you know, they do get snow. They do get the, the most rain on the planet falls on the interior of Kauai. Right. Um, it, it is fascinating. Yeah. 
And most people don't know that. They think of tropical, and they think it's just sunny. It just and doesn't change. Exactly. No. it's, you know? it's it, On the islands, it, it is amazing to me how much change. When I was living on Oahu, one time I took a Christmas vacation to Kauai. And um, it's funny, from Hawaii to Hawaii, vacation. <laughs> right, 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 right. That's how Hawaii's vacation. Yeah. yeah. Or to go to Las Or Vegas. you go to Boise, Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just do something crazy different. So I went there, and all of a sudden it rained, and it rained for two solid weeks every oh. single day. Oh, wow. It was just amazing. Yeah, well, it's the Garden Island, yeah. right? And it's uh, it's where they filmed Jurassic Park. It is beautiful. Yeah, it's amazing. But there. you have to stay on the exterior you know, because the interior gets yeah. over 300 inches a year. Yeah. They they average an inch a day. It's it's unbelievable. It is. How okay. long did you live? i got to ask, how long did you live out there? I lived there about seven and a half years. Uh, my wife was born and raised there. Oh. So I call her a Hawaiian now. She's really howly like me. <laughs> but she was, uh, our families were there in the 20s, both of our families. Oh, wow. So her, her dad was, uh, her grandfather was hired to work the uh, pineapple cannery, I think, somewhere in Kauai. And then they moved to Oahu. And her dad lived there, was born there, and, or Kauai. And they moved to Oahu. And he ran the uh, paper factory there. Hmm. And then my wife, you know, she went to school, high school, college. And um, but my family went there because my great grandfather was hired to be the interior designer contractor for the Royal Hawaiian when they built it. Oh wow! So that brought my family there. My grandmother was a little girl. It's a beautiful hotel. But yeah. what we didn't know until about I don't know ten years ago or so that my family back then in the twenties knew her family. Really? Yes. And I met my wife here in San Antonio. Yeah. You know. Or Leon Springs. But for the, them to the know bar. each other. Yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> She's That's the story. There. Yeah, but, there we go. So we met here, and we didn't even know that they knew each other. My yeah. grandmother happened to be staying over, and we mentioned a name of, of a friend of my... Uh, she mentioned a name of their family, and Susan's like, oh, wait a minute, my family's friends with them. Walked over to her dad and asked, oh, yeah, they're friends of ours. Wow. Did you know the McCulley's? That name's really familiar. It's like, wow. that is my family. And they knew each other the, all those years ago. Wow, that is something. It is. Wow. So and my family, they, we, they both lived through the Pearl Harbor bombing. My oh, family wow. was on Pearl Harbor. Really? And hers was up in the hills. So uh, pretty interesting story. Yeah, that is. That really yeah. is. What a connection. Oh, I know. So uh, other than meteorology, other than the weather, mm-hmm. there's things you do that... A lot of people in the San Antonio probably know, but I'm sure a lot of people don't. Um, and I want to I want to highlight some of these things. So there there's something that uh, you did. I don't know if you still do. Called uh, is it called uh, Bill in My Boots? Yes. No, we we stopped during COVID and haven't returned. I, I don't know that it'll come back or not, but that was. In um, the spirit of Maru and My Shoes, if you remember, Chris Maru, longtime anchor of Ken's Five, would do, go do someone's job with them. And he would report on who this person was, how their job worked. I remember one of the, my favorite ones was when he went on the road with a TxDOT, um, I'll just call him roadside assistant. And they literally canvas the major arteries in the city. And they fix flats, they jumpstart batteries, they, you know, they are roadside for the state. And so he worked with him for a night and told his story, you know. And so in that spirit, I brought it back, Bill in my boots. We did uh, a janitor at a middle school. Um, I did a um, 13th floor haunted house. I became one of the actors there. They painted me up and... I was trying to scare people, and it, it, so yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Acting that that brings me to something else that um, you did in the Nutcracker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my role as Mother Ginger. Yes, that was uh, that was a lot of so fun. You were in drag. I was in drag, <laughs> and a big old dress, and all the kids run out, you know. And it was on the stage at the Tobin. So that was, I mean, what an honor. I mean, the Tobin is such a beautiful theater, and so to be on that stage and you know. 
looking out and I didn't have any lines. You just kind of uh, you just say hello to everyone. But yeah, full makeup, big wig and everything. Uh, you looked really funny. I mean, it was really great. And then you did something. I don't know. I don't have a handle on what it was, but you sponsored a kennel for Petco. Is that am I saying that right? Exactly. It's the Petco um, sponsored center for canines for warriors. Okay. So we're um, very involved with Canines for Warriors and their second location in the United States to train dogs is in San Antonio. They're, they're Florida based and they decided on San Antonio because of our military huh. significance here. You know, Military City USA, we've yeah. got this number two in the nation of military employees civilian employees number one being washington number two is is san antonio texas and so canines for warriors came in and they are right next door to acs animal care services so dogs that come in and meet the requirements of breed and size they take them in and they train them to be matched with a warrior for life and these are warriors suffering with ptsd all kinds of post-war situations and Alan, it is truly amazing what they train in these dogs, but then also what dogs are capable of knowing and learning. I mean, to the point where if a warrior's asleep and is going to slip into a night terror dream and nightmare, that dog will jump up in the bed before it happens and, and lick their face and wake them up. Wow. They can sense that. They can go into a room and they can sense a panic attack the warrior's about to have. And it'll give them a nudge and, and a certain, you know, hit with their head to their leg or just little signals to tell them we need to go outside for a while. Because they, then because they train the dog, that takes the longest amount of time. But then they train the warrior to understand the dog. And that's another couple of weeks. And so along with that place next to ACS on Highway 151, there's also a ranch out in Holotus where the warrior and the dog will stay for like a week or two. And they'll get to know each other really well before they go on, you know, life together. And it, and it's a, it is a regimen with those dogs because keep in mind, they have to be able to handle every situation. Walk into a mall or a baseball game or, you know, just any kind of situation right here in the studio. I mean, you know, they have to know, like, the change in, in atmosphere and it's not going to freak them out that they're steady and they're service dogs in every situation. But it's it's fascinating. Um, I've always heard that, you know, the greatest lesson of unconditional love is from a dog, right? And, and it, so it says that's why they're called dogs, because it's, it's the same letters as God, <laughs> yeah. you know? And, and, and just truly the, the intuition of them is fascinating. So they named a kennel after me at the Canine for Warriors huh. uh, facility, and I was so honored. It actually brought me to tears because the day that we were, that they surprised me with it, they surprised me live on the air. <clears throat> on no, on um, November 11th, on Veterans Day every year, we do a phone bank all day. We start at 6 a.m. and we go to 6 p.m., and we ask for donations for Canines for Warriors. And I'm there the entire time and, and asking for that money. And, and we raised a lot of money in that one day. And it was at like 5 o'clock. And I'm doing the live shot. And we're talking to one of the warriors. And they come walking up. And I'm like, what? this wasn't part of the plan of the live shot. I'm thinking to myself, you know. And I'm like, what's happening? And they had this plaque and award. And they said, you know, we're going to name a kennel after you. Wow. And I, I was just so blown away. It was such an honor. Such an honor. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, you know, it's interesting when... Um when we were part, my wife and I were part of the Christian Business Chamber of Commerce. We started that years ago, and she was the president for two terms. And we had Sonny Melendres on. And, yeah, Sonny's you know, great. He, he, it's like the two of you are a lot alike in the fact that you do a lot for the community. You really do, both of you. Thank and you. That's, I'm thank surprised. You. I would almost say, and, I, and it's nothing to put against you, Sonny, you know, if you're watching this. <laughs> I, I think you surpass him. Oh, no way. Sonny is <laughs> on another level. He, I, well, I he, really look up to him. He gets things moving yeah. easier. But you're involved in so much. Thank you. you. So it, it's a blessing, Alan. I really, have, you know, I love it. First off, you have Bill's Elves. Yeah, Bill's Elves coming up on our 20th year this Christmas. Um yeah has been a, another tremendous blessing. They came to me at Ken's, uh, it was nearly 20 years ago, and said, we're going to help the Child Protective Service children and get yeah. toys. We're going to do a toy drive. We want you to be the front 
for it. It wasn't something that I came up with. Um, but I was just so touched that they said, we want you to be the, you know, face of this thing. Yeah. And we're going to call it Bill's Elves. I said, really? And wow. And it has grown to just see it what it is now that we're not even just helping CPS. We're helping all these other agencies now. And we bring toys to all these kids on Christmas every year. And it's such a blessing to be a part of it. And, you know, from now Methodist Children's Hospital to Sam Ministries to Boysville. I mean, there's just so much need. I mean, you, you know and have seen and experienced the growth of San Antonio. Yeah. I mean, we're now the seventh largest city in this country. But at the same time, alongside that great momentum and incredible successful growth is this need and this this impoverished part of our population. And it's really sad. I mean, in, in some cases, it's really hard to believe. Actually, it's really interesting. Just on a real quick side note, watching this city grow, I'm thinking – we're going to run out of water. It's the rate of people moving in here. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a big stress on the aquifer. I mean, you know, um, if you're unfamiliar, we, we use an aquifer as our primary source of water here. Mm-hmm. And the when I got here in 1996, stage one water restrictions would go into effect if the aquifer hit 650 feet. And when we say that, by the way, we're measuring the J-17 well out of Fort Sam Houston. That's the well that we give that number to. Mm-hmm. And it's a pressurized well. And the um, aquifer, it's an artesian well system that runs from here west through the, um, you know, hill country pretty much. And we also use the Trinity Aquifer. That's another source of water. And Saws has a number of other sources as well. But since I've been here, I remember 650 was stage one. Mm-hmm. They changed it. And this was now probably 20 years ago. In anticipation of the growth and strain, they moved it up to 660. Oh, really? So if it dips to 660, we go to stage one. 650, stage two. 640, stage three. We've never hit stage three. They've never declared stage three in San Antonio. But we're there. Yeah. Thanks to all those resources I mentioned, SAWS has a lot of various backup, if you will. And we even know the numbers there. The, the 10-day average is below 640. They're not declaring stage three. Yeah. Which is just tighter restrictions on watering. Well, the Canyon Lake water people need to get with saws and talk about it because they already went to stage three and yeah. emergency. Yeah, they sure did. Yeah. Canyon Lake. And remember, that's mainly Trinity, too. And, you know, they, they use some other sources. Um, the Medina Lake situation. I mean, they're yeah. down below 5%. It's just sad. Sad. So... And I want our, our viewers to understand that you're also involved with the Alzheimer's Association. Very important to me. And my father um, had Alzheimer's. Uh, my father passed in 2014. And um, ever since then, I've been very involved. And coming up October 21st is the Walk to End Alzheimer's. And yeah. so you still have time. ALZ.org. If Alzheimer's hasn't affected your life yet, it will. I mean, it, yeah. in some way, shape, or form, you're a family member, yourself, um, people you love, you'll say goodbye to them twice. It, it's a really sad, sad situation. Or any kind of dementia almost. Yeah, any form of it. Any yeah. Form of it. I think my wife's mom had uh, dementia, I think, from my, many strokes. Is that right? Yeah, but uh, it affected our family. Yeah, just imagine all of your favorite memories, your favorite songs, your favorite moments with kids, your the moment you met your wife, you know, the moment you had a child. I mean, all these kind of great memories gone in an instant. Gone. You, you don't also, you don't have any of them. Your worst arguments, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's not bad. There are some things. Yeah, that you'd like to forget. Yeah. A lot of pain. That's also gone. Um but what I, I and I also, you know, I pray uh, and and uh, what I love is is seeing the what we call love givers, you know, caregivers that are along for that journey, you know, uh, their husband or their wife, um, you know, and they'll, it'll be eight, 12, sometimes 15 to 20 years of sitting at their side yeah. and just watching them decay and, and physically they're fine. Like my father, we would play golf. We would do things. But he just mentally wouldn't yeah. be able to really, you know. Two really close friends of ours. Uh, he's a CPA. She's an attorney. And her mother has um, dementia. Mm-hmm. She's the sweetest lady in the world. But she's got dementia. It's really 
difficult. Yeah. I just saw, you know, Sean Elliott, former Spur, mm-hmm. hit the Memorial Day Miracle. And they're, they're really involved. Him and his wife, Claudia, are very involved because her mom has Alzheimer's. And we were just doing a commercial for the walk on October 21st. And they were in the studio. I asked Claudia, um, how's mom? And she said, no change. She, she just exists. Yeah. And, and it's really sad. They moved her into their home. So they're caring for her um, because it becomes a real family disease. Yeah. And you're also involved in the Cancer Society? Yes. My mom, I uh, lost my mom in 2010 to uh, lung cancer. And so cancer has been um, a big part of um, what I want to give back to and, and help raise money to fight yeah. and research cancer. Uh, what we got, in fact, coming up this Saturday is the Cattle Barons Gala, September 30th, not far from where we're sitting, at Estancia del Norte. Um, the Cattle Barons Gala is the biggest fundraiser to do every year. We're going to try to raise a million in one night. And then my good friend, I've got to give him a shout-out, T-Bone, Hope Hits Harder. This is what I'm wearing right now on my wrist. The Hope uh, Hits Harder organization. Children can't, ch- children who have cancer is what he focuses on. In fact, September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. So when there's a diagnosis in the family, they come in with a hope bag so that the parents can go right to the hospital, don't have to worry about the essentials. They get an HEB card, gas cards, they get toiletries, anything they need, rides if they got to get somewhere, um, so that they can stay at their child's side for that journey. We have uh, one of our best friends. Uh, I don't know if you know who he is. His name is Manny Diot. Yeah, yeah, the Ferrari kid. Yes. So yeah. he does basically the same things. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he, I guess it's kind of like the Make-A-Wish Foundation. It kind of is similar right. to that, but it's more it's local. And I've, I've known him to help families with medications and things like that and, and so forth. And It's wonderful. He's done such a great job. Yeah. So. And, I mean, I, I love a city that, I mean, you see as much outreach and help and resources as you do in San Antonio. You know, it's really funny because uh, everybody, everybody who really knows me, you know, they know that I'd rather live in Hawaii than here. Is that right? You know? Yeah, well, you know, to me, it's like I've been spoiled. I've lived in Colorado Springs, and, you know, oh, it's just so beautiful. I've lived in Hawaii. It's just so beautiful there. You know, and I look in Texas, and I look at a a live oak tree. I'm like, really? (laughs) (laughs) And everything's very brown right now. Oh, I just had the cost of living in Hawaii. Well, well, that could be a whole different discussion. But but basically, but the people here are really cool. Yeah. They're really neat. They're very, very nice. There's wonderful people in this area. They really are. So I have to have to give it to San Antonio. They've done a good job breeding people, you know, who are just lovely. You've, You've got Texas, which is probably one of the proudest states in our country. And when I got here, I, I was very respectful of, of not saying we when I was on television. Mm-hmm. I was saying, you know, Texas or San Antonio has a chance of rain this weekend. Until I got here and, you know, again, knew I was going to stay here. And now 27 years at Ken's Five and all three of my daughters were born here. Um, I, I say we now, you know, and I, I don't know if I can technically call myself Texan. I wasn't born here, but my three daughters are Texans. Um, I, but I, the, the thing about San Antonio, as proud as the state is, it's such a welcoming family yeah. type city. I mean, it's just such a great welcoming culture. Yeah. And I'm talking about everyone. And it's a very diverse culture. I mean, we've got a lot of different ethnicities here that are celebrated you know, I mean, when I when I see, you know what I see as one of the greatest testimonies to that is the Martin Luther King Jr. March. When you see how many ethnicities show up for that and the amount of people that show up, it's one of the largest in the nation. And our African-American population is less than 10 percent. It was last time I heard it was like 7 percent wow. of the city. And we have one of the largest MLK marches in the United States. That's wow. amazing. That and that, that, amazing. like I said, is a testimony to what, you know, the welcoming nature and the culture yeah. that we have here. Um, also, among all those other things you're involved in jobs, you're also a pastor. 
A gateway federal, uh, federal fellowship. fellowship. Federal. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, we have a credit union. It's great. No, (laughs) Uh, Gateway Fellowship has been my home for about eight years now. My family really enjoys this church. Um, it, It started. It's a very humble beginning as a small group that was meeting on a consistent basis. Started growing and to the point where they said, "Let's meet at a school," and they were using an elementary school to meet. And it got to summer, and the school said, you know, we really can't pay the janitors for summer to, to be here, so we can't let you use the school anymore. So they said, okay. And they went to a movie theater, and they were in a movie theater for about eight, nine years before they said, we'd really like to build a church. And they saved their money. And Hobby Lobby said, we'll buy the land. If you have the money to build the church, we'll buy the lot. And on 1604 between Bandera Road and Braun, which is high-priced real estate, mm-hmm. Hobby Lobby put down about $1.5 million and, wow. and bought the land for him. And then we built our church. And I wasn't part of the church until they were there about a year when, when a couple said, hey, you got to come check out Gateway Fellowship. And I said, okay. And we fell in love. And I, I just, the, the mission of this church is church planting. Mm-hmm. So we have 10 different I, campuses I, right I now. noticed that and there's two of them in San Antonio yes and, yes and there's they're all there's over. actually three in San Antonio there was really difficult for me is is finding you because <laughs> I'm <laughs> looking yeah. for staff yeah. members or people or whatever and finally I saw a picture of, of one of them had you interviewing somebody I go, there he is there okay, he is so that's the one he's at you know, right so. north so I'm northwest the, the Hobby Lobby story is the one I'm uh, serving and um I'm considered like an online pastor. So what we do is it started during COVID. They asked me to do this. Um, I do a pre-service, I'll call it a show, kind of like what we're doing right now. I interview someone about what's going on at the church or something to do with our sermon, our sermon series, you know, and that's only about a 15 minute segment. And then we go live into the service. Yeah. And so, like I said, I've been doing that since COVID because it was such a big deal. Online church was a much bigger thing then. But it's still a very prominent part of our church. I mean, a lot of people still watch online, even though, you know, we're we're past the pandemic. I think people like to check out a church maybe online first before they go in person. I think that's part of the population. But then there's also people that are homebound. There's people that are hospitalized. There's people that are in college or serving in the military and they're in another you know country yeah. and they get to watch. Um, so it's a valuable ministry. In fact, when we first got here, I was serving and uh, worshiping at First Baptist Church downtown. In fact, that's how I know one of your uh, guys here, uh, Chris Lair. Okay. And um, they have been on television with their live service ever since I got here in the mid-90s, but even before that. They're live every Sunday at 11 a.m. on television, the whole service, before streaming online. I mean, they're on network television with their live service still today, mm-hmm. every Sunday at 11 o'clock. It's amazing. So I think th- there's there's great value to that. So I've been blessed to, to serve in that capacity and now even deliver a few sermons um, at Gateway. I've been really blessed to, to use the gift God has given me to help grow the kingdom. That's pretty amazing. And it seems like, you know, you really, with all of those things that you do, and I'm sure there's more, I just haven't brought, don't know or haven't brought them out, but with all of that, you seem to hold in high esteem one thing above all, which I think is amazing, and it's your girls, your wife. Yeah. It's like your family is it. It's like, and you, you made, you, uh, um, you made a comment somewhere in, in a place, something about I'm the, uh, what did you, oh, I'm the proudest father and the luckiest husband. It's truly true. I, I have a truly gracious wife. Jamie uh, and I met in Lake Charles, Louisiana. You know, here, here's this New Jersey kid that moves to Lake Charles at the age of 19. And I didn't know Lake Charles from, you know, Leaky Roof, Utah. I mean, I just, you know, I mean, that, that does as much as I knew about it. I was like, Louisiana? We're, we're moving to Louisiana? And I had an option. I could have stayed up in the Northeast with my father, but I was a mama's boy. I wasn't going to go far from mom, you know, and she was moving. You know, my dad was, my stepdad was taking a job with the Chamber of Commerce. You mentioned the Chamber of Commerce. That's what he was doing. He was moving to Southwest Louisiana. So 
I said, I really want to, okay, stay by mom, you know. Yeah. And when I got there and when I met Jamie, I mean, everything changed, you know. And, and then television took me to Montgomery, Alabama, and Jamie and I said goodbye to each other. I mean, I really thought, okay, that's it. But that's when I fell in love with her was when I didn't have her. And when I went to Montgomery, Alabama, and, and we stayed in touch, and then I said, why don't you come visit? This is a really cool town. I can't live without you kind of thing. I can't, yeah. I, re- I really, and that's when I really fell in love with her. And um, just a gracious woman who loves the Lord and serves. I mean, wakes up serving. That That is her number one. And then, um, mm-hmm. you know, blessed with three daughters, Carissa, Kendall, and Peyton, are amazing. Carissa's now a um, elementary school teacher here in San Antonio. Kendall's a senior at UNT up in Denton. And then Peyton's a senior in high school. And so, um, yeah, I, I, Alan, I have to remind myself, as busy as I am, and as blessed as I am to be this busy, that my first ministry is this family. That's true. And, and I, I really have to remind myself, and, I, and I'm so glad that God reminds me that, you know, I don't get too busy. I don't say yes too often. That, that I, I'm saying no to them. And, and you know how important that is. I've, I've actually spoken at seminars or keynote speakers in, in areas where there's missionaries or, or pastors and ministers. And one of the things I tell them, that you've, you've, you've got to balance your ministry in your home life. Because yes. God's called you to minister to your home. And there's a lot of ministers who don't know how to do that or don't understand that. And they end up losing their home, their family, their kids. Uh, either they lose them in divorce or they lose them to the world. Don't you think it's so easy to slip there because you're serving the Lord. You're doing great things. And, and how could this be wrong? You know, I, I know I'm busy, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm saving souls. I'm, I'm, I'm winning, you know, people to Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm teaching people how to be a disciple of the Lord. I mean, it's so positive that it's easy to yeah. lose that. Well, you know, there's something I, I preached at this church one time. It was all Spanish-speaking. So it was, they asked me. They didn't understand a word of it. Well, <laughs> right. well I had an interpreter. Do you, oh, okay, okay, good. So, oh, I, did I was going to ask. I didn't know if you spoke Spanish, but I no. don't. Yeah. Well, I don't speak Russian or Romanian either. So and you I, do a lot yeah, there, yeah. A lot of, you know, the first time I ever spoke with a translator, I was at an uh, Indian reservation, a uh, Navajo Indian reservation, and it was a Kaibato in there. And I, they asked me to, I was 16 years old, or 17, just called to preach, mm-hmm. or called to be a minister, I should say. And um, I got up to, and I had my translator, and I would talk, and I get excited. I started going and going and going. And also, I looked over at the translator, she looks at me, and she goes, she said like two words, and I was in. I go, that's it. <laughs> so obviously, you were way ahead of her. You lost I her. Blew it. Yeah. <laughs> so I learned about short sentences. Pace. Yeah. yeah, one sentence at a time. So, I guess that's hard. I, I've never used a translator as much speaking as I've done. I've never. There was one time during Hurricane Harvey, um, our sister station in Houston was off the air, and so we were doing Facebook lives for Houston on their Facebook page. And I had a translator doing it in Spanish. And so I learned what you're saying yeah. a little bit. So two things I want to say before we get into our topic. Okay. One is um, I read this, and I guess without your explanation, I, I thought it was the funniest thing. I told my wife this. I thought this is hilarious. And she says, well, you know, I, I called these, you know, when I was 13 years old, I called these football players, you know, from Duke. And to talk to them, and actually got to talk to them. Well, what it was, I said, you know, when you were a kid, you tried to call Neil Armstrong while he was on the moon. Wow. How'd you know this? I read, I, I, I have to Thank study you. what I'm yeah, doing yeah. to have this conversation. I appreciate that, Alan. I was uh, on the front page of the North Jersey newspaper, and I'm two years old. Man is on the moon. And I'm, you know, the the old console televisions that were on the floor. So I'm sitting on the floor with my play telephone trying to call the astronauts. My (laughs) Uncle Guido, because I had a big Italian family up in New Jersey. Uncle Guido called his, he he knew a lot of people, Guido did. Guido Rocco. And he said, come over here because my nephew, he's so cute. You got to see this. And so they came over and they took a picture and I was on the front page of the paper the next day. (laughs) And so it was almost. 
almost like it was a little foreshadowing. Like I was, I was destined for a job in media, you know, <laughs> as I was trying to call the astronauts. And it, it was really funny because the cut line said, you know, little Billy Taylor from his, uh, you know, house in Patterson, New Jersey is trying to call the astronauts. Well, not this trip, Billy. <laughs> I said, man, if I ever write an autobiography, I'm going to title it, not this trip, Billy. <laughs> well, you know, I have to, I have to do my research. That's great. To, to That's great. Yeah, I love it so, that you knew that. Yeah, I still have the paper. Do you? I still really? have the uh, the paper. Um, so every moon day, um, you know, when it, when it hits in July, I typically post it on Facebook and, and say, hey, I was I was destined for media. That's you cool. know, I was on yeah. the front page at two. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get to our topic. Our topic is abiding in Jesus. Hmm. Um, and at first off, before we even get into scriptures and talking, I want to say the word abide is an interesting word because I don't think that everybody grasps the meaning. Abide really means to tarry or to remain. It's to uh, continue, to dwell, uh, endure. In the King James Version, they actually add on the TH, abideth, hmm. which gives it its activeness. Hmm. That, that's a word, act, the active part of what abide is. Just like believe in King James, they say believeth, mm-hmm. or faith, you know, the, they add that F or TH rather, that really adds the active part of what yeah. the verb really means. Yeah. We don't think about that. Right. Know, but that really is important because when we say he abides with me, he's just, we just think, oh, he's there. But it's to remain. Right. It's to continue. I like I that. It's really, really important. Think about, you know, do you believe in God? Yeah, I believe in God. Are you believing in God? Right. You know, are you are you are you abiding and believing? And it really has to be that way in a world that continues to pass away, in a world that continues to distract and deceive. You've got to be believing. Well, when it asks the question, Jesus asked the question in, in John eight thirty one. If you abide in my word, I didn't. I'm sorry, he didn't ask the question. He made a statement. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Hmm. But what is abiding in his word? So I, I like taking the word abide and using it as an acrostic and saying that first, there's an assurance. Mm-hmm. Second, we just talked about believing. Third is intimacy. Fourth, daily. And then the fifth letter, E, eternal. Okay. So first, I'm assured that what we're talking about in, in who's telling us to abide and giving us this lesson in abiding is Jesus Christ, right. is the Son of God. The assurance that what he's teaching is perfect and it is kingdom oriented. And so when I lean into it, I'm, I'm thinking of John 15 when Jesus talks about abiding in me and I will abide in you as I am the true vine. And and I love that illustration of a vine wrapped around a branch and it just never ends. It just continues to, you know, wrap itself and give life to that branch. Mm. And then he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's where the believing comes in. You know, R.C. Sproul says, it's one thing to believe in God, but do you believe God? Yeah. And so do you believe him when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing? Of course, in, in my teaching, uh, I go back to the Greek, okay, the word believe, in, especially in the book of John or in all of John's writings, they use the word pistuo, mm-hmm. it's the actual word. It's spelled P-I-S-T-E-U-O. Uh, it's actually an active verb, okay, where when we look up the word believe in Webster's, it's a passive verb. Mm-hmm. Huge difference, difference. big difference. So in other words, when we look at the the definition of believe in in Webster's, the definition reads this way, something we understand to be true. Where you look up bestuo, it is an act of following. It's an act of of responding. Mm -hmm. It's doing something. It's following the teachings. It's following what is being revealed to you. It's that active part of living. Okay. 
So two totally different ideas. Yeah, the absolutely. problem we have, and, and that's when I said, like in the King James, you know, they had that th to show that it was active. Well, now in our modern language, we take that out because that's old, you know, right, English. Right. But what it did was it took away the whole entire meaning idea of and the idea. Was, absolutely, know? because it, like you said, it, it's got to be active. Our faith has to be active. James wrote, "Faith without works is dead." Mm-hmm. I mean, there's got to be activity. And whenever I have the blessing to baptize someone, that's one of the first things I say. This is the first work of your faith. Yeah. I believe that this is where James says, you know, we're we're faith without works, you know, and this is, you know, congratulations. You're you're making this work now. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that back to John 15. And what I what I like about John 15, it is a, a uh chapter on relationship. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't see it that way. And and to me it's as clear as day. You know, I am the vine, you're the branches. So, you know, you if you want life and you to do things, you do it because of me, because right. I give you life. Yeah. That's relationship. That's so good. You know, and yeah. and as we go on, and, and in verse ten, he says, "If you keep my commandments, okay, there's a big one. You will abide in my love. Mm. You remain in my yes, love. You yes, yes. Continue in my love, uh, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in His love." And it's all that relationship right. that he is talking about That's right. that brings us the idea that we are continuing in his teaching, in his life. That's what I love, too, is that when we talk about life and what he gives us, it's life, Alan, in every circumstance that, that gives you life no matter what you're doing. You could be enjoying a sunrise on a beach in Maui or... You could be in the Dollar General picking out a bag of potato chips. And it doesn't matter that in both situations, you're given this life of joy and of peace and of abundance. And and when we talk about life, I I love one of my life verses is John 10.10. And it is that says, the thief has come only to rob, kill and destroy. I have come to give life and life abundant, that it's not just eternal life, but it's in this world, unglorified, that with him we have abundant life. We have the Zoe life. And, and that, 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 is a, that is a life-giving, you know, that again, no matter what you're doing, you can be driving down 281, you have the joy of the Lord. You know, that in itself is so important. You know, I, I deal with a lot of you know, a lot of missionaries, they're on target to save people, and uh, they're saved, and, and it stops there. A lot of evangelists are saved, and, and it kind of ends there, and they go to the next group, person, mm-hmm. whatever, to get them saved. And in, so for me, when, when you talk about life, you talk about all this stuff, it's, it's that continuation. So when we decide that uh, what is salvation it, it's that journey mm-hmm. because we can be saved day one, but what happens to day two to 2,500 right. or whatever? That's right. It's that journey of salvation. It's where Paul says, work out your, soul, your mm-hmm. salvation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the, the uh, abiding comes. And I, I was teaching in, in, I teach a, a class at my church. And uh, last year, it just dawned on me. We're talking about salvation. I said, you know, everybody seems to think that we're saved from sin. But Jesus said he came to give us abundant life. Very verse. I says, that means he, he saved us unto life. Yes. Yes. You know, unto joy. Mm-hmm. And we're missing that if all we see is we're saved from sin. We're saved from hell. That's right. But we're saved unto life. We're saved unto glory. We're saved unto these things that are positive. Right. And I think there's a lot of... Maybe it's not taught a lot in our in Christendom. In our, in our culture, I think there's a mistake made that it's one and done. You yeah. know, that, that there's so much more life-giving opportunity in a walk with God. Yeah. You know, and, and I love that the Bible is very clear about it being a walk with God, that he lights the way and he, you know, lights our paths and gives us the word to, to help us through every situation every day. Yeah. Give us this day our daily bread, you know, that it, that, that it is one day at a time. You know, walking is the slowest form of transportation. 
So it's a slow, deliberate walk every day. And when we're living that way, again, that's the abundant joy. That's the abundant life. That it's not one and done. And a lot of people, I think, like you're saying, is, is, is they slip into a mindset that says, well, yeah, I, I believe in God. I'm done. I'm good. You know, and it's you're, yeah. you're missing. You're missing. And I'm not saying everyone's called. I think sometimes the, the, the enemy uses that lie um, when someone's trying to believe in the Lord and, and surrender their life. Well, I don't I don't I'm not going to be like Alan or Bill. And well, no, you're not, because we're all individuals like Buckner Fanning says, you know, God doesn't love everybody. He loves each and every one of us. It's a one-on-one. It's a customized yeah. relationship. And and by abiding, now you find out your path. You find out, because I guarantee you this, the Lord does want you to have this ministry of leading someone else to what you now know. So once you believe, it's I always lean into uh, Acts 4.20 that says we, we can't not say something. What we've seen, what we've experienced, what we've learned. When, when you know, John and Peter were like, we've got to say something. I, we've got to talk about it. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that's that's me. I'm like, I, I can't keep it to myself. You know, it, it's like if you, you had the, the, the drug that cured cancer, you take this pill, you, you tell everybody. You know, and if, if it was, you know, but something about Jesus and, and we're a little scared to, to share this and, you know, abiding in the Lord. And I, want, I don't know if I, I'm comfortable enough to just talk to anybody about that. Yeah. It's really interesting. In, in my calling in ministry, um, it, it took me, uh, you know, I, I learned things, you know, by the hard knocks. I always have. <laughs> I hope I'm getting better. It's a popular university, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> High enrollment. <laughs> but, you know, it took me a while to understand that God gave me the gift to teach. And, and it's like when I was first called to the first, it was, a, it was a Pentecostal church who had a school and we need a teacher. And I had just resigned from associate pastor that I was at because the, the pastor was too busy giving me jobs of janitor, clean the van, do this, run this and pick up my laundry kind of thing. Right, you know. And right. it's like, well, I was, wasn't used to that. No other pastor had me do those things uh, on a major scale. Well, then I, I quit. So their church calls me up and says, we have a school, we need a Bible teacher. Well, I'm not a teacher. There's just no way I'm going to do that. Yeah. He says, oh, well, you don't Bible studies. Well, that's different. I'm yeah. not, I'm not right. sitting in a room with three people or five, ten people and, and sharing. And so I ended up taking the job, and it was like a piece of cake. I'm like, I, was, I taught, I remember the Gospel of John. You know, it was my favorite book at the time. And, and basically, John's still my favorite writer. But it was like, wow. And I went to another school and later on, and I realized that things came easy for me to see and pick off and relate it mm-hmm. that I understood the Holy Spirit gave me the gift of teaching. Because mm-hmm. I've never taken classes on how to teach. <laughs> Just never <laughs> right, right. did. You know? And so, um, so my whole life changed to as a Bible teacher, and then that grew and grew, and then I got more education and so forth, and, and it landed to this, which is a whole huge story. But I think it's amazing, you know, when I look at this ministry, what what does God call me to teach? Okay, but he's called me in the ministry of teaching those who are already believers Mm -hmm. or already interested or already in the fold of the Mm -hmm. church, if you will, Mm -hmm. to learn how to walk as Jesus walked, to learn how to become like Jesus, to learn how to seek holiness. So my position in my ministry isn't to seek out the lost. But it's to educate those that are already here. That's good. To learn how to seek holiness, walk in the, in the yes, life that yes. Jesus has given us. And there's my ministry. That's awesome. Because yeah. you're, you're equipping. Yes. You know, because, again, if we're, if we're following Jesus as disciples of Jesus, we remember Matthew 28. And that says, go make disciples. Exactly. Te- teach them what I've commanded you. Teach them what you have observed. Baptize them. You know, be active. Again, back yeah. to the activity of the believer and the believing and abiding that it continues every day, that we're given another day. It's another opportunity. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that's why I say I lean back into where he's planted me. You know, the psalmist says we are firmly planted. That, that tells us that we're planted with purpose. 
that there's a reason I'm, I'm the Ken's Five weatherman and that he's now gotten me in the last, it was really in the last five, six years that I fully surrendered to this and said, yes, Lord, let, let's go. Yeah. You know, and, and really dove in at Gateway Fellowship. I mean, I've always been a member of a church and bringing my family to church, but, you know, never have I really been abiding like this into what he's called me to do. You know, um, I, I speak a lot about um, worship because mm-hmm. a lot of people have the idea worship is going to sing songs in church. And I teach it totally different that worship is you're a gift. To God, you give of yourself 100% totally, surrender to His will. That's uh, worship. And you do that as you live every yes, day. Yes, yes. So that, so I agree with that. To me, uh, when we talk about abiding, I think it's the same thing. I, I have this scripture, and this is, may sound weird at first, but it's in John chapter 6, verses 53 to 56, and it says this Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Mm. This is not the last, the, the communion. No, that's not communion. The, yeah. the people preach right. it. The right. pastors preach this. This is about making Jesus Lord of your life. Yes. It's like a hand in glove. Yes. It's like he's the hand. We put the glove on and right. we, we become like him. Yes. This is what it's all about. It's, it's the all in all. And, exactly. and, I, and I think this is where the rubber met the road. When, when he used that language, and how many times did he say, when you eat of my flesh, when you, you know, and they, were, they had to be sitting there going, what is he talking about? What are you, what are you saying? Yeah. What are, you, are you out of your mind? You know, I mean, it just had a real, I mean, he was turning the tables. I mean, even at the Last Supper, that was a Passover meal. Yeah. When he broke the bread and said, this is my body. They, they, they've never heard that before. They were yeah. like, what are you talking about? You know, and, and that is, the, in, I was raised Catholic. That, that scripture is why when, when the communion is, is blessed as a sacrament, mm-hmm. the, the that truly is the moment that what they're holding, that communion wafer is the body of Christ, literally, right? literally. And when you, again, that kind of abiding, I love that illustration, hand and glove, it's, it's, it's the all in all. You know, you, it's almost like, um, who is it, David, yeah, David Wilkerson, I think it is, a preacher from New York City that said, you know, it, it's not that Jesus is number one, because that means there's a number two. Jesus is all of them. <laughs> And, 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 oh, you have to watch, and, and you need to watch one of my um, teachings. I have it on YouTube, and it's called Jesus Center of Your Life. And what, what I've taught, and I've taught this since the 80s, um, is that, because I don't like the number the list. The list, yeah. One, that yeah. is one. Right. You know, number two, family. My number wife. Three, number church, three, kids. Number, right. Yeah. I hate that. Right. And, and the reason why is because people made other people feel guilty for, Spending too much time on number two, three, or four. Yes, yeah. And and then or, or they or they would uh, or as human nature takes it, whatever's in second, third, or fourth, or fifth place is in competition with number one. Right, right. And according to the Bible, God says He doesn't want to be in competition with anything. Oh no, no, no. That's first. So I've taken that list and I trash it. I literally trash it. And I say this is not a good list, <laughs> and it's what I grew up with learning. What I did was I made a circle. I put the little like a like a pie. Okay. Okay, or or bicycle, whatever, and a little little round circle in the middle, and I put Jesus in the middle, and I have these little pie things, and little pie things have, you know, your job or your your spouse or your okay. family, your right. job or your your finances, and all these things are now as God brings them to your life, you put bring them into your life, you set them there, but where are they? They are there with Jesus centered at every single one of these. Love that. Everyone. So Love that. where you spend your time, this is why I like what I like about you. Mm. Is where you spend your time, you can tell Jesus is centered in what you're doing. I love that. And this is what is important. If you spend a lot of time with the Alzheimer's, that's okay. You know why? Because Jesus is center focus of that in mm-hmm. your life. 
Thank you. you. you I do. I get. I get it. Thank and you. I think this is where Thank people you. have have taken this list and they bring it about, and it's like they're missing it. In Colossians chapter one and verse, I think it's eighteen, I believe, it says that Jesus is preeminent. Mm. Preeminent means supreme. It means all in all, not mm-hmm. first place, mm-hmm. but all in all, everything. Yeah. And I believe this is where we need to be. That where He is in the center, and all these things are here. When we do that, then God becomes all of our life. I love that. And you know, that's really where we need to be. In, in that abiding principle, um, it, it is the intimacy that you carry through the day. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a God presence that you practice. And so what what I've really, I, I was blessed with, uh, it's a small book. You can almost read it in one sitting, almost more of a pamphlet called Practicing God's Presence from Brother Lawrence. And he was literally a dishwasher. At the, I don't know if it was a convent, monastery, I think it was a monastery. That, that again, no matter what you do or where you are, it doesn't have to be this high ranking. It doesn't have to be this glamour. Whatever it is, putting Jesus at the center, putting the Lord first. Again, you know, Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and all its righteousness, and this shall be added to you, that everything else works out. Yeah. And and it's it's first that abiding time. You know, I, I got the eye in that intimacy that that it's one on one, that it's just you. Look at how Jesus prayed. You know, I mean, we model ourselves after that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why I have a I lead a small group on Thursday mornings with just men, you know, and it's because of that philosophy, that model that Jesus gave us that while he did preach to crowds and there were a lot of people at times. There were 12 guys he hung out with yep. that he spent most of his time with. You know, we like to say Jesus belonged to a small group, right? Yeah. And then the intimacy. He would go away to spend time with the Father. Yeah. You know, that he would he would model that. And so I love that. I get up first before anybody else in the house, and, and I spend that time with Jesus. I spend that time with him, and, and I just imagine him waiting every morning. You know, that, that he wants to spend it with me because, again, that, like you said, that mutual abiding. I abide in you. You abide in me. As I abide in the Father, I will abide in you. And it's just this beautiful intertwining. Yeah. You know, it's been a pleasure. This is so this cool. really has been awesome. I, I go all day. On. I go all day, man. Our time is up. <laughs> I love it. Well... Thank you for coming. Thank you, I really, really, this. I really appreciate it, too. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. Uh, I didn't realize how goofy you were until you started texting <laughs> me, you know, on your text. <laughs> right. I want to thank everybody again for joining us. Uh, everyone, you all have a wonderful day. You have a wonderful week. Aloha. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.